Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Steve Austin is back. The Steve Austin Show is back and better than ever with new exciting episodes featuring tales from his new life, unbelievable past adventures, talks with pro wrestling pals, you name it, Steve's on it. Download new episodes of The Steve Austin Show every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Instead of doing the full draft breakdown right now, Sam Vecini wanted to take a couple days to clear his head, get a little bit of rest, and so that will be next week's episode. Instead, this is going to be a fun little kind of like reset, recalibration with Dan Feldman of NBC's Pro Basketball Talk. So we do talk about the draft. It's an important piece of context here, but we really go through the offseason to this point. So that's everything that New Orleans has done, the Lakers stuff, major takeaways from from all around the league, the Connolly trade and everything like that. So setting the table for what what is to come and also what has already happened. So really fun conversation. And in some ways, it was kind of better to do it now than to do that one later, because maybe some things will happen to color it and everything like that. And this episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the podcast one promo code for a 50% welcome bonus. Yahoo Daily Fantasy. Go to yahoo.com slash daily fantasy to sign up and use the bet now B-E-T-N-O-W promo code for $25 in free play when you make your first deposit. And True Car, great place to sell or trade in your car. Really fun episode. I thought that we got into some some points on some of these deals that haven't been talked about as much. So I, I always enjoy that and I enjoy talking with Dan. So I hope I hope you enjoy it as well. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Well, this is not rigidly a draft recap podcast because that will be coming out soon enough. I do think that you start in the same place with a draft recap podcast and a off-season so far podcast, and that is the New Orleans Pelicans. They made the biggest move of the off-season so far with the Anthony Davis trade, and they also made, you know, they made the number one pick in the draft and, and made the most moves, I would say, overall on draft night. So... I, we have a lot of different topics to, to, to cover with New Orleans and then all, every all the all the branches that come off the Pelicans tree so far. But I think the the place to start is kind of more the the bird's eye view of where uh, of how you see everything that they've done so far. I love it. I think they're having a great off season in terms of decision making. Uh, if you consider just the results, it's incredible because you know if you factor in them winning the lottery, I mean it's. The franchise has transformed completely. Uh, I know David Griffin is trying to get people not to say this. I'm not going to listen. They can now build around Zion Williams in, in such a great way. They have all these assets. Uh, they could be good next year. Drew Holiday is really good. If they're not good enough, they have plenty of ways to pivot to try and time their window. This is not like when the Pelicans built around Anthony Davis where they decided their window was always right now. It, it, like, it kept getting pushed back because right now wasn't working, but they always tried to make it right now. With Zion, it could be right now. There is room for that if he is good enough as a rookie. And if he's not, there's room to make the window later. This team is set up so well. I think the most shocking part of this to me, especially because we already knew they won the lottery like that, that would have, you know, considering the chances they had, that would have been it before and how that changed a lot of the mentality and approach and all that is there is that over the course of these moves and this kind of it kind of came out of nowhere. The Pelicans, not only did they create a pretty deep team, I mean, I'm not saying they're like that they're top heavy or that they're going to be really good right now. They just have a lot of 
capable rotation players or players who look like they will be in time. But also, what what the shocking part is, they don't have like seven to nine year max cap space necessarily, but they have enough space to really make a difference in free agency. And that's what happens when they saved money in the Davis trade. They were able to dump Solomon Hill, his expiring contract, in the move down from four to eight and a bunch of other picks. And so now, I, I mean, this is what I led my piece for what I, what I led my piece for the Athletic with about like kind of the draft night is what are they going to do with this space? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't have an answer. Um, this might be a case of where cap space is shiny and looks great, uh, but doesn't go as, as far as you think it might. Right. Um, I, I you think know, that's I, totally I do think fair. We're, I do think we're all guilty of it. I am too. Like when I'm saying how great they're situated, I'm counting that cap space probably more than I should. Cause it's, it's just, it's the, uh, this box could be anything. It could even be a boat type of scenario. Uh, but you know, maybe they can get somebody good. I don't know. I mean, there's a. I would think I, this is going to be so broad because I really don't have an idea of who they're going after. I think you target somebody whose age is in between Zion Williamson's and Drew Holiday's. Somebody who can be part of the future and or the present, and uh, you know, be depth on either version of what this team becomes. I don't know who that is, and I know it's very broad. Well, and, and it's also challenging because they have kind of dice rolls at a lot of different positions and roles at this point. So like they probably don't spend it on a point guard because they have Lonzo Ball there. And depending on how they see Drew Holiday, you could just list him as a guard. Then Josh Hart, I think of him primarily as a two. Then Ingram at a forward slot, which one kind of depends on how they see it. Then they have Zion at a front court spot. They have Jackson Hayes at a front court spot. Now you can have multiple options. I, I think that's generally a, a good idea. And, and then that doesn't even include guys like Christian Wood, who I, I think is really intriguing, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who they drafted 17th. And so another way to do that is take on some money. And because like you can you can get value that way. Yeah, they, they included Solomon Hill and they cr- deliberately created this cap space, but they can just turn around and take it for value. Somebody else sends them a bad contract. They get another another future pick. Like I, I agree with you. I think that might be an overstated part of it. It's just something that I find interesting. But the crux for me of this is that it's a different kind of package that they got for Anthony Davis. You know, it wasn't because this draft isn't as strong. The four pick isn't the isn't the centerpiece that it that it could be in a lot of other years. But the combination of resources in this is, is fascinating because they got not only the number four pick, which they then converted into a bunch of other stuff and dumping Solomon Hill, but they got talented young players in Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Josh Hart. And then they also took, I, I referred to it as a, a big short of Lakers stock because, <laughs> and that shorts don't always work out. You know, that's, it's, unless it's insider trading, and I don't think it is in this case, it's just a bet that we, we take on a lot of risk in case things go badly for them, even if they go well in the beginning. Now, because of how far out David Griffin pushed these Lakers resources, they do that. And so there's a distinct possibility that, that none of those pieces, none of those lottery tickets work out as well as, as anybody's hoping. That, that is a possibility. There are no sure things for me in this. But it's so many paths. It's so many possibilities that have high upside that the hope and maybe for some people the expectation is that at least some of them will work out yeah i mean we're obviously skewed by how the net celtics trade went that went as about as poorly as it could have for brooklyn as well as it could have for boston and that was the last type of deal like this that we saw and we're just we're just always skewed by the last thing that's what happens uh 
But, man, look at how the Lakers operate. Look at LeBron James's age. Are we really that confident uh, that this is uh, a team that's going to figure it out over the long run and avoid sending New Orleans a high pick? I'm not. Like, this is, this is a great bet. And I, and I love that you brought up how many different avenues there are. I mean, I think these are really strong assets, uh, but there's also just a lot of them. And I think you saw that philosophy, too, with that draft night trade with the Hawks. Drafting is hard. Assembling future assets is very difficult to predict. Like who, you know, the Celtics thought they were getting this great asset with the Kings pick. It turned into a middling first rounder in a weak looking draft. Like it's so hard to predict those things. So just get more of them. And I, I think there's a lot of logic to that. And I, I like that approach. And it's, it's sort of an analog to the process with Hinky. I mean, the idea was his, his was a little bit different because it was get as many really good bites at the apple as possible. And I mean, I think the, the Sixers are reaping some of those rewards with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But it was also a reminder of why Hinky wanted so many bites because Marco Fultz didn't work out nearly as well as they hoped. Jaleel Okafor didn't work out nearly as well as they hoped. Incidentally, current Pelican, Jaleel Okafor. And and so not every team has that opportunity, but you can also think about Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, both players taken second overall, along with with like that that as parts of this, like you know that they're they're also bites at the apple, and that I think is the is is one of the most compelling parts of this trade for me from New Orleans perspective, is I feel that there is a distinct chance, especially in Lonzo's case, but also in Brandon Ingram's with the DVT and everything else, that. The Pelicans could see those as maybe not necessarily guaranteed pieces of their future, but as undervalued assets at this moment. You know, the, the, Josh Hart had an injury plague season. I really like Josh Hart's game. I think he fits with a lot of teams, has that kind of skill set that works. Ingram, if he can be maximized, I think there's a lot more there. Lonzo, of course, the same thing. And so maybe what the idea is is, hey— these are talented basketball players. If they can get in our up and down system, we're going to give them playing time. They're probably going to get a chance to get buckets. So even if they're not our guy, we got them for less than we can sell them for at the trade deadline or in the 2020 offseason. I want to come back to Josh Hart in particular. But first, the, the com- Sam Her- Hinkie comparison is interesting. To me, the big difference between uh, the Pelican situation and Hinkie's, uh with the 76ers the Pelicans got the number one pick before their guy got fired. Uh, Hinky didn't have that, and I understand like that's luck. Uh, but but this is such a huge part of, of how we're assessing where New Orleans is. For all the smart moves the Pelicans have made, uh, the Anthony Davis trade, I really think they they did it in a great way. Uh, that that number four pick trade out, I think they did it in a great way. The most significant event of the offseason for them was winning the lottery, going from the middle of this lottery where man there's a big drop in prospect quality i think to this this future star i mean zion williams the best prospect probably since anthony davis uh that is such a huge jump and transforms how we think of everything else that's an excellent point and it's and it's really important when considering that especially it wasn't anything deliberate that david griffin did because it wasn't a circumstance where like they tanked into really good odds and then maximized those really good odds no they griffin a wasn't the gm when they had the record that they ended up with but b you know it was, it was a lot of good fortune so that, that that is a really important thing to bring up but i mean to remind you that you wanted to go back to Hart and maybe yes. ball and all that as well yeah i mean i I'm probably fairly middle of the road on all three players, but if there's anyone I'm higher on than the consensus, it's Josh Hart. Uh, except I, I like what he can do. I like him in a limited role doing the small little things to help a team. 
listening to some of the interviews over the offseason, it sounds like he's not content in that. Like, it sounds like the Lakers last year told him, hey, work on your ball handling, work on becoming more of a creator. And then he didn't get those opportunities and resented it. And I don't blame him for resenting it. Like, it's a lot more fun to play with the ball in your hands and be that guy if you can. But I really like more what he could do in a limited role. Not every player is willing to accept the limited role. I don't know where he is on that. Maybe he's just mad because the Lakers wasted his time over offseason training for a role he wouldn't get. Or maybe part of it is because he's upset he didn't get the role. Well, especially because it came on the heels of being, I believe he was Vegas Summer League MVP. So... That, that 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 I mean I'm sure that th- thing for him like hey I can I can this is proof of the proof of concept that I can grow more that I can do that I can do more when asked and then it's like nope you're you're gonna have a more basic role and one of the challenges for maybe more so Alvin Gentry than David Griffin is managing expectations of the players themselves you know they're they're I think Gentry's gonna get some benefit of the doubt just because there's so much turnover so much uncertainty. But, you know, some of these guys aren't going to start. Some of them aren't going to play significant minutes. And that could be some veterans. Like, Etwan Moore's role on this team is now very <laughs> uncertain. And a lot, a lot of these players also have money on the line coming up. I mean, Ingram's a pending restricted free agent. Moore is an unrestricted free agent. A lot of their low contract guys, like low, low salary guys like Christian Wood and Ja and Frank Jackson and Kenrick Williams, a lot of those guys also had nice... 18, 19 seasons, like they're going to be, they might be marginalized because of all these players that came in, that that came in this year by the new front office, which is always an important thing to consider. And I'm going to tie that in with another takeaway from draft night later on. But there are some real challenges there. But I, I, I think that the Pelicans, like they, they get that because of how young this team is overall now and just the new front office and everything else like that. I, I think I think they'll, you know, not everybody's going to be happy, but I don't think it's going to be like a mutiny situation. That's my hope, at least. So I think we learned a lesson from the Celtics in that, yes, I think for people like you and I and evaluating from the outside and even front offices to a degree, uh, they can talk about everybody and we can talk about everybody's assets and about evaluating where the assets are and that's important but when you're within the team you do also have to treat people as people not as assets and uh, you you can't just be waiting out the next asset while these people are, are just stuck kind of like it doesn't work that way these are real people and you have to be mindful of that i think uh if you're mindful of that that's the biggest thing right if, if you're thinking about it you you can handle it uh, usually that's at least a big first step if you're just thinking assets 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 you have no chance um with the pelicans in particular yeah i think elvin gentry the sense i get he's kind of good at, at that you know he he's not someone who's just like ah, it's the player's problem it's up to them like he's somebody who wants to relate and connect with his players and i i think that's a good thing for a coach i'm so intrigued by some of these teams and i'm not sure the pelicans are quite there uh with zion starting his four-year uh rookie skill deal with drew holiday still having a, a good amount of time left but i am very intrigued by these teams where they're just so full of players and expiring contracts who could be looking out for themselves uh but they buy in they play as a team uh to me that's such a cool thing when that happens to see how it happens see the dynamics uh, the first one i really keyed in on that uh, was, was the hornets a few years ago when they won 48 games that team was just loaded with expiring contracts steve clifford uh 
did a did a big part in getting all of them rolling together. Um, but I think with shorter contracts now under the current CBA, we're going to see these types of teams more often. Last year, the Clippers and Pacers both fit this mold, and we're going to see teams facing that challenge. I think more and more often. That's fascinating, and and you're right. I, th- I think and whether those players can pull the rope together is is a is a real question, and it's a, a level of volatility that we can appreciate. And I I think plenty more to talk about with Dan Feldman. But first, a message from BetOnline.ag. We're now in the middle of June, NBA Finals, Stanley Cup are done, but the action continues throughout the month with Major League Baseball, UFC, MLS Soccer, and so much more. And a great place to engage with all of that is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code PODCAST1. You get an awesome 50% welcome bonus. And so much going on right now. I mean, you have baseball really getting in, getting into full swing. It can be a fun time if you, whether it's your team doing well or just, I mean, because there's so, the volume of baseball games is truly incredible. So it makes it really, a really good fit for betonline.ag. Maybe there's a, a pitching matchup that you think is is really advantageous or, or numerous things. I mean, soccer's really, really fun right now. Golf, I mean, I went to the U.S. Open last weekend, which was a blast. And MMA, if you're into that, there's always always stuff going on in MMA. So you can check all that out at betonline.ag. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get on, get in on the action. And make sure that if you do, you use the promo code PODCAST1 or text BETNOW, B-E-T-N-O-W, to 238-669. And either one of those ways, that now t- tells them that you came from us, and it also gives you a 50% welcome bonus, which is awesome. So check out betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. You know, it's going to take time to process everything that's happened with the Celtics. And I, I do like the point that Nate has brought up that Gordon Hayward's injury changed a lot of it because they just, they never got to see it really fully actualized. But the other thing that I think really poisoned the well, and it's crazy that that success did it, was the Celtics being so successful using traditional measures when Kyrie when Kyrie was out and obviously Gordon Hayward was hurt for last year and there is an argument and I would I would make this that their success was a little bit inflated by circumstance that you know getting to the conference finals because they had a pretty soft path to get there that Bucks team which was just horrendously coached was it was a fortunate one and then the, the, the Sixers were just figuring it out they were able to beat the the Heat the, the series before because they were just way more talented than Miami but the, the Sixers you know was their second playoff series and they just you know f- f- some limited players and Stevens I thought did a great job coaching and then Horford was a monster in that series and so then the players justifiably I mean I can see it from their perspective like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum go, look at this. Like we were integral pieces, especially Jalen Brown to an extent, because he wasn't, you know, his role got marginalized more than Tatum. Like we were integral pieces on a conference finals team last year without Ky- without Kyrie, without Gordon Hayward, and now and and probably Rozier feels the same way. And now we're taking a back seat, especially with Hayward, where they can argue like we're better than him. With Kyrie, it's a little bit different. And I can imagine how that would be really challenging and really frustrating. Absolutely. Yeah. Rozier, I think maybe even especially, um, he had the line of the season of, you know, I went from the, the passenger seat to the trunk was just outstanding. Um, yeah. I also think maybe in terms of giving the Celtics credit for or or making it understandable why they felt that way they also took the cavaliers to game seven like it's not just that they got 
got to the conference finals. Like, they were one game away. And I know the Cavs were up and down through those Eastern Conference playoffs. But LeBron is darn good. And we saw that in game one of the finals, too. Well, I mean, he was, uh, LeBron was the MVP. Like, if they gave a Conn Smythe for, for basketball, yeah. I think LeBron would have won it last year, despite what oh, happened yeah. in the finals. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was so good. And I am a big believer uh, that it's under undersold how terrible that Cavs supporting cast was last year in the playoffs. Like, I get Rodney Hood's playing better now. George Hill's playing better now. I think it's because those guys are pl- were, were playing better uh, at the end of this this last season. I, and I we're, mean, JR, Tristan Thompson. Yeah. Like, oh, and because of so many of those guys had been successful wearing the same uniform, often against the same opponents, you yes. forgot, like, oh, yeah, that they, they were just, they just sucked last year. Yes, I don't think it's a case of, oh, you know, they were being put in, in bad spots by LeBron and we shouldn't give LeBron too much credit. No, at that point in time, those players were no good and LeBron just carried them so far. It was an incredible run. Man, makes me a little, a little well, wistful for watching LeBron in the playoffs. Haven't yeah, seen that it is, but while. now, but hopefully we're going to get the chance to see LeBron in the playoffs and that's, that's a good way to talk about the Lakers. And I'm of a series of different minds about this from the perspective. I, you know, I was happy. I, I started my piece for the athletic deliberately with the fit on the court and that I think Davis, he's been an effective transition player basically since his rookie year and being a versatile big offensively, I think can really help. You know, I, I still think there's more untapped potential in his jump shot, but he can be a, a roll man, a cutter, a spot up guy, maybe in some moments, but like just just I mean, the the options that you create with LeBron as an unbelievable passer, both in transition the half court with Davis are are incredibly exciting. And now, especially given the timing of the trade and everything else, they are making a really big bet on that core working really quickly. Yes, yes, it's got to work quick because, man, who knows how much more time LeBron has left. Um, I was asked, I was on Miami radio and I was asked a question. Curious what you think. Will Anthony Davis be LeBron James's best teammate in his career? My instinct is that Wade's first year, really before the injuries started taking their toll, will be better than any season that Davis has alongside LeBron, but it's possible. Like, I mean, that's the hard thing with Wade is like, <laughs> I, I think Wade, I think Wade will end up with a meaningfully better career than Davis just because Wade is an unquestioned, you know, like a hall of fame, hall of famer, like in one of the higher levels, if we went to Bill Simmons idea <laughs> and Davis, you know, he could get there. I, I mean, Davis to me was the most talented prospect since James. So, I mean, he ha- he has all that in him, but I mean, without knowing it, I'm going to I'm going to give deference to Wade because Dwayne Wade is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I said I definitely think Wade will have the better career, but I said, I, you know, Wade set a very high bar, so I'm not guaranteeing anything. But I did think Davis would get there uh, just because Wade's best years were before LeBron came to Miami and Wade really had to take a step back to make that work. He couldn't be. And it's not like he took a. I mean, he did a little bit, but it's not like he just like took a step back in some areas and applied applied his energy and game to different areas. For the most part, it was just straight back, uh, and that's what worked for that team. They needed LeBron to be the guy, and it was it was a very smart move and unselfish move by Wade to change that way. But it just also made him not quite as good. Where Davis, in the ways you were talking about, that he is a finisher and LeBron is a creator. I think they they can balance much better, and, and LeBron can really get the most out of Davis in a way that it didn't quite work that way with Wade. Maybe a little more diminishing returns with Wade. Still, great combination. Don't get me wrong. 
but just they overlapped a little too much for for Wade to be that best teammate, I think. But it's a high bar. I'm not promising Davis will get there. That's a reasonable argument, especially because both those guys were just so good with the ball in their hands. And and so while, you know, they were they were also dynamic and you know some of the 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 fast break flying death machine stuff was was truly spectacular. That is it, it the the idea of being an additive is is important here. And then there are the other two kind of components of what has happened so far with Lakers offseason. So one is that they gave up a lot of their available assets in in this trade. Now, you could make an argument, of course, that they, they had to because there were other teams that were interested in Davis. He's a phenomenal talent. One of the best players, if you think of combination of talent and age, to be available via trade in a long time. I'm not counting like 2010 LeBron being signed and traded <laughs> technically. Like he wasn't on the trade market. He was a free agent. So like those type of players don't don't change very often. And like, yeah, I mean... I would say, and like, for example, like some might say James Harden. Harden wasn't this guy yet. And, and I love, I thought that was just a gigantic mistake by the Thunder when they did it. But Davis is a, is a better player, though he's, of course, substantially closer to free agency. So they, the Lakers gave up a lot to make that happen. And so those pieces, that's why it's such a big bet on, on Davis and James, is that it's hard for them, other than like Kyle Kuzma and then this remaining cap space, to do it. So that's one piece. Then the second piece is it certainly looks like, at least at the moment, that that the structure of the trade, and then more importantly in some ways the timing of the trade, means that the, La- the Lakers will not have the full max slot to work with. There might be a way that they can finagle it by trying to include other guys in the trade and trying to rope things in. But again, it, it, maybe they get a great player to take less. Entirely possible. May, or maybe they clear the space and then get a great player to take more. But no matter what, it's really going to be that three-man plus Kuzma ban at the start, and then it's going to be the room mid-level and a lot of minimum contracts. And it's if their goal is a championship either in 2020 or forward, moving forward, that's a lot of value and a lot of depth to create from those sorts of places. Okay, I'm going to start with a trivia question for you. Who was the last player to make an All-NBA first team, get traded, not signed and traded, and then make another All-NBA first team? Because I think Davis has a real shot to qualify, and uh, I think Kawhi Leonard has a shot to qualify too. Uh, But who was the last player to get traded while in the middle of being good enough to make multiple All-NBA first teams? Oh man, I bet it's been a while. No, Blake Griffin didn't get first team. Um, I, I, I don't think I have anybody. I'm surprised you didn't get it in particular is probably a good hint. Hmm. Web? No. Now I'm still drawing a blank. Chris Paul. Oh, yeah. I should have gotten that. I will I have, have a my guy. list in my Lakers offseason grade. Uh, any listeners want to look way forward to later in the summer. But yeah, Chris Paul uh, with, with New Orleans and then with the Clippers. Um, I have a question, too. A sure. different question. Not a trivia question. Uh, where do you come down on the debate of whether the Lakers are better off getting another star or trying to get depth? Uh, and I guess we'll give a little benefit of the doubt that, that they could get another star, right? This might not be their choice, but just the idea of that they're better off with, with multiple role players who can work around LeBron and, and Davis uh, rather than just getting some third star that if they could theoretically open that max cap space with minimal pain. I am a believer that star talent makes other players significantly better. And so and also the Lakers I think can get more out of minimum contracts, especially if they can offer playing time, maybe even a starting slot. So 
Now, it can change based on context. You know, it's what star are we talking about? What bench players are willing to take 10 to 12 million? Now, it's entirely possible that really good players take 10 million and then and then it shifts the other way. But in the abstract, which is I think the way you asked the question, yes. I would I would go with the star because one of the things that this Lakers team needs and this is a reminder from from Cleveland and then from Miami as well is that you want to have a second capable ball handler shot creator even on a LeBron team ideally that guy needs to shoot but he needs to be at least able to shoot because there will be times that an opponent forces the ball out of LeBron's hands or LeBron is not on the floor something that is we have to be more cognizant of now than when he was in Miami or Cleveland due to his advancing age I mean LeBron turns 35 early next season so those guys are really hard to get at the minimum, especially if we're talking about a ball handler or even the room mid-level. Those guys are really hard to get to be somebody who's capable of playing, let's say, even rotation minutes in a conference finals. It's really hard to get those players, even with the Lakers' sales pitch. So if you can get a player who can be, you know, who has that as a part of their game, but ideally not their whole game, you know, because then that, like, like, for example, like they shouldn't get Ben Simmons. They're not going to, but they <laughs> shouldn't. Like that's sort of an okay. idea. But uh, to me, if you can't get that another way, then you might as well do it there. And then you use the remaining resources to throw a bunch of, a bunch of things at the wall and hope that some of them stick. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And it just drives me nuts that people are using the Warriors as an example of, of why not to get multiple stars. Uh, because they lost in the finals where, hey, look at the Raptors had one star. The Warriors tried this multi-star approach and the Warriors lost. Are you kidding me? The Warriors went to the very end of game six in the NBA finals while having a superstar, a super duper star, not playing at all in Kevin Durant. Imagine if the Raptors had Kawhi Leonard not playing. Do you think that series is anything other than a sweep? I mean, that's it's so ridiculous to me that people are using the Warriors as the example of why you can go wrong getting multiple stars. No, the Warriors getting multiple stars was the reason they had any chance at all in the finals. Well, and beyond that, we saw very briefly that when the Warriors had their stars healthy, yeah. they were insane. Like all of the, you know, the and, and I love the Raptors, deserving champion, everything like that. But... You know, like, I mean, we, we got a glimpse of uh, as great as their defense looked, it's really hard to defend Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, and Clay Thompson on the floor at the same time. And this Draymond is, Green. Like, and Draymond Green. He is the, he's a big part of, yes. of it. Oh, yeah. Not this, destroy, yeah. This is not a surprise. Like, and so, yeah, if you can if you can go that approach. Now, can a team get Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant, especially those guys healthy? Yeah, that's, it's, a really hard, it's a really hard bet to make. But, yeah. More creatives, oh. and, and, and it's also even harder to get the, the kind of, we talked about the with Wade and LeBron, the idea of, of star talents that are more additive than some of them are. Like, that can be a real challenge. But I think it's a worthy gamble because that's where you go. And so whether that's Kemba Walker or Jimmy Butler, or, I mean, the ideal would be the aforementioned Kawhi Leonard. No, if we're going real <laughs> Super big dreams, ideal. if we're going real big dreams, and then, and yeah, and Kyrie, like, like that sort of player, because you can't replicate that any other way. And also, I am a big believer, and it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how, and I'm sure, especially with certain people, that this, that his legacy will be different. I've become more in tune with the value of attention. And so that's like, how much, how much does, does this person draw? Because a lot of times, like those eyeballs, those shoulders turn towards a player, that opens things up for more limited teammates. And so like the example I'm drawing here is Steph Curry in the finals, 
or numerous. I mean, you could go with Kawhi. I mean, the Warriors catered their defense to stopping Kawhi, and then that led to Marcus Gasol having better shots and everything else. And so the Lakers, if they can get a third guy that does it, then you only a team only has 10, 10 eyeballs. Like that, that's how many are on the floor at a given point. And you reach that critical mass where it becomes really hard for a defense to handle all of the different threats that can be on the floor. And also, when you have three, that means that depending on how a coach structures their lineup, maybe you have no, maybe you have two of those guys on the floor at any one time. So let's go a step further and bring it back to the Lakers. I'm with you. The attention you draw is a very important thing. Um, I also think it's important what you do when you have all that attention on you, especially at the highest levels. And I think this is a completely overblown criticism of Stephen Curry, but also one with something fair to it, that when he has all this attention on him, he still, like, he tends to struggle. And it opens up a lot of things for his teammates, but his teammates aren't as talented as him. And sometimes... It's just helpful when, even with a ton of attention on you, you can still be really darn good. LeBron James can do that. When there's a ton of attention on LeBron, he's still really good. That's something he had to figure out early in his career. Remember, I mean, it seems like ages ago now, but remember when he was getting criticized for uh, passing too much? He passed to an open man, and he had to kind of realize and grow to be the player of, yeah, I'm double teamed. Me taking a double team shot late in a close game, still better than passing to the open man. That is the right shot. For this team because he's so good. And so that's why I want to bring it to Anthony Davis. I think Anthony Davis has some elements of being able to handle having all that pressure on him. And I'm not sure how much he'll have that while he's playing with LeBron. That changes a little bit. But there'll still be definitely times where, where the, all attention is on Anthony Davis. And I think his most undervalued skill is catch radius. He can go get passes anywhere near him. He can get passes uh, amid pressure, and he's so often in good position, you know, such a nice touch, good finisher, can do so many things with the ball when he gets it close to the basket uh, while the defense is trying to deny him from getting the ball. And now you have a a pinpoint passer like LeBron putting it to him. You know, the pass doesn't always necessarily need to go directly where Davis is standing. These are this is an advanced passer and an advanced receiver. And I think that's something where the Lakers, for, for yes, they need, they need role players and any players around those two. But even if those two are getting a lot of attention, they are capable of playing through that attention. That is both a fair criticism of Steph Curry and also a really important point with LeBron and Davis together, the idea. And, and it is more kind of like a quarterback and a wide receiver or tight end in that we think most of the passes are going one direction. You know, not as many as, as a football team, but that, that's sort of an idea. And so the catch radius and, and, and also one I would throw in there as well is LeBron's vision. Like mm-hmm. the, the fact that sometimes the pass can just come. And it, it's going to be a, a damn laser beam like that sort of that sort of thing is is cool, too. And I think that I, I'm a big believer in the importance of pass velocity. And I think that's going to open things up not only for Anthony Davis, but for whoever else is on this team. And we'll, we'll find out who those players are soon enough. But yeah, it, it's it's I'm fascinated to see how Rob Polenka in this front office n- builds this not only with the parts that are that are more in their I mean because it's a mix of in their control and not in their control because it's you know they're gonna it's probably gonna be one maybe two if they split it high profile players and then a lot of small ones and so then it's two things and this ties in with last off season and I think that's why I'm a little bit concerned more than a little bit <laughs> concerned is 
first, it's getting the players to take your money. Now, as somebody who lives in the Bay Area, I think about this in terms of Zaza Pachulia and David West and maybe DeMarcus Cousins, though that situation was initiated by the player, not by the team. Then the second part is making sure that you offer the right players your money, limited as it may be. And that's the part that the Lakers unequivocally got wrong last year and have to get right this year. Yes. And so, yeah, if we're taking this star versus uh, multiple role players debate out of the abstract, yeah, that is a giant concern. I do not trust this Lakers front office to identify the right type of players. And even beyond type, I think everybody got caught up in the type of, of player that Rajon Rondo was, that Michael Beasley was, that Lance Stevenson was. And I think those criticisms were absolutely correct. But they also obscured another very valid criticism, uh, which is those players just aren't good enough. Like, who cares what type of player they are? They're just not good enough. Even if that's the type of player you need, those guys just aren't that good anymore. I definitely focused more on fit than quality, but you're right. And, and, and like, Michael Beasley, I think, is a great example of that. Like, Michael Beasley, not not a terrible basketball player, but, but the combination of, like, it wasn't that ta- talent could supersede fit because the talent wasn't good enough to overcome it. So yes. then that that made it that made it a, an even more untenable situation, and it's and so something else that I think is really important here. I, t- I I talked about this when I wrote about the Davis trade, is that especially considering the Lakers gave up a lot of draft resources, though they are more future than LeBron's timeline. I mean, as we expected, maybe he's a cyborg and plays until he's fifty. It's entirely possible, but <laughs> but. It's really and this the Miami Heat might be the single best example of this, and they had the benefit of a little bit of a more favorable system in my eyes, is that it's really hard to build a deep and sustainably deep foundation with the structure here because most of the good players who are going to take a minimum contract are going to be doing so for one year with the intention of being somewhere else after that. So draft picks maybe the full mid-level, which, um, you know, they're going to have the room one this year. So that's only, that can only be a two-year contract. You know, you have all those type of things. So basically, not only are the Lakers betting or relying, leaning on Rob Palenka making the right depth decisions this year, but you're going to have to do it again next year and the year after that. Right. So this is probably the the giant drawback of not landing Anthony Davis or Paul George or or Kawhi or some star last year because this we saw this with LeBron in Miami we saw this with LeBron in Cleveland I think these types of undertakings generally take two years because of all those reasons you said it's just once you clear the cap space to land a a star or two I mean I think we're talking about these multi-star scenarios right uh once you've cleared the cap space to get that guy, you just don't have the tools to build up your roster enough in one year. It takes two. And another big factor beyond the mid-level exception, beyond the draft picks, is uh, aggregating and trades. You can bring back more salary uh, when you trade out, but you need, to, you need to build your way up there. So assuming you're a team willing to spend a lot, you're just not allowed to spend too much too quickly. There are limits. Like It was astounding. I, I think it was LeBron's first year back with the Cavs. You know, they cleared the cap space to sign him, and then by the end of the year, they got into the luxury tax. I think that was just great work by David Griffin to do it so quickly. Uh, not every GM is as talented as David Griffin, and so it just takes time to build that up. And man, the clock on LeBron James's prime is ticking, and 
it's going to be very, very difficult to get there this year. Can they get there next year? Probably. Will LeBron still be good enough to be that best player on a championship team? Probably, but we're dealing with plenty of uncertainty. We are. And it's yeah, it, it it's a it really is a lot to to process with with them, and then also of course it coming in the context of this wide open season. Still more to talk about with Dan Feldman, but first a message from Yahoo Daily Fantasy. It is an awesome time of year to be a sports fan, even though NBA and NHL are done. You have baseball going on, PGA, and action going on, you know, really all over all over the sports spectrum. And if you want to get closer to the action, Yahoo Daily Fantasy is for you. They offer single-day and week-long contests. You can pick a new team every day. As somebody who did a lot of year-long fantasy, there is a great appeal to day-long and week-long contests because if something happens, you know, like you made the right decision, but a player just had a freak injury, and then you're saddled with it for the entire rest of that season. I I definitely see that and have enjoyed doing some Daily Fantasy. And if you want to do it, Yahoo Daily Fantasy is a great place to because they have the lowest management fees across the industry, so you don't need to play with other sites that charge high fees just to play. Yahoo's lower fees mean more prizes for you, the players, to win. To get started, go to yahoo.com slash dailyfantasy, find a contest that's right for you, and use the promo code POD25 for $25 in free play when you make your first deposit. You can try a 50-50 contest where the top half of the field wins, or you can try Yahoo's quick match feature where they pair you with another player of your skill level. You can do a quick match for free or for cash. Best part is there's no management fee at all, so you keep 100% of your winnings. If you want to, you can also play for larger prizes and bigger bragging rights and guaranteed prize pool contests. But no matter what you want to try, go to yahoo.com slash dailyfantasy and use the pod... 25 promo code for $25 in free play when you make your first deposit. The sooner you get to playing, the sooner you can get to winning at Yahoo Daily Fantasy. Also have a message from TrueCar. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you cannot put a price tag on your stories, now with TrueCar, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you will get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you are ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True Cash Offer, not available in all states. There are a lot of things that can change between now and July 15th, much less June 1st of, of next year when the finals will probably start then or thereabouts. But, you know, the, the something that I wanted to talk about is how how this happens with the Warriors. I mean, so Golden State, even if, let's say, they, they do the expensive talent retention route, th- th- they have a very difficult path next season. And not only is that, and I think this is the part of it that's going to be underrated, is it's not only, you know, the amount of time that that Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant, whoever of those guys is still on the team, are, off, are, are not available to play at all. But remember that players do not come back at 100%. And that's the reason why I think the Warriors are out of the championship mix for 2020 is not necessarily like, oh, they can't survive without those guys. It's that I don't, even if Durant and Thompson come back before the end of next season, regular season playoffs, whatever we're talking, they're not going to be 100%. I mean, that's just the way this works. It takes longer to get back. 
Yeah, and then the Warriors, knowing that, might not spend as much as they would otherwise to fortify a, a championship-level team. If they feel, man, these guys aren't going to come back good enough for us to win a title. We've been spending so much every year. We're going to be spending so much uh, for multiple years going forward. Like, let's take it easy this year. And maybe even if Durant leaves, get out of the luxury tax. Uh, then if somehow those guys beat the odds and are ready to come back and better than expected, well, then maybe the rest of the team's depth isn't quite good enough. I mean, if those if those players come back healthy and really 100% beat those odds that, that you're talking about, uh, that team will be very good and have a title shot, but it might not be as good a shot as it would be if you had the expectation of them being healthy and then built a roster based on that. And I don't think it from from I mean, granted, they've done all the public posturing that you would expect, but they're the Warriors ownership is saying, you know, that that the repeater tax isn't going to be a big burden for them. But as a practical consideration, <laughs> if you're spending as much money as they are, even if you can print money for a team that isn't guaranteed a playoff spot, it's that's a pretty it's a pretty bold thing. Now, it, it can happen. And we've seen ownership groups really really spend i mean i i could think of even like the paul allen blazers or dan, dan gilbert on the Cavs at certain moments and i mean also gilbert deserves credit for how much money how much money he's willing to spend now i mean that them buying a, a late first round pick for five million dollars and, and four seconds and so you it can be those sorts of things but I'm I'm really interested in in where the rubber meets the road there. Now, does that mean the Warriors use the full mid-level exception? And remember, they have all these pending free agents, including Kavon Looney, who they have full bird rights on. Where where do, when those decisions have to be made? How significant is the financial component, even if it's only a component? Kind of like what Sam Presti was talking about after yesterday, where it's like it's a consideration in everything we do, like kind of implying, but it's not the only one. And I think that's probably going to be a similar story for Bob Myers. I want you to be the the mock warriors here for a second, because here is the scenario that intrigues me to no end: uh, how they would react. And I don't. I mean, they're just in the terms of there are so many different things that can happen. I don't think this will. But I, I do wonder, because I think it is a possibility. So you be the, the mock warriors, I'll be a mock Kevin Durant. Okay, And I'm going to come to you and I'm going to say, I want a one plus one max contract. I'm not going to play next season, I wanna, but I got hurt trying to help you guys. I want to get paid by you guys, and then I want to reevaluate next summer where I want to be. What are you going to say? Oh, man. I mean, there's the moral kind of component to this where you go, oh, man, the guy got injured on our watch, you know, and, and yes, there were... It was a conscious decision on both sides for him to play. This Durant chose to play and and everything else like that. And as as kind of callous as some people may interpret this, if the options are a one plus one or nothing, I would take nothing because A, it's so expensive and B, there is there is so little present value there. That that the that the Warriors are really getting, and to me the the idea that he's not you know not even committing to any sort of thing because it's a it's a player option from beyond that point, it's it's so expensive, but also it's it's more, to me that's kind of in in a way that's more charity than anything else. And I mean, Kevin Durant is an amazing player, and it is more than that. But the sheer lack of any semblance of team control or team value to me would make that untenable. Now, if he said a two plus one, I would probably do that. Yeah, I mean, there's if he leaves, he's not coming back, right? That's a very safe, safe assumption. Uh, yeah. Uh, so there is some value in if you even if it's a one plus one, there's no commitment. 
But there still is a pathway to re-signing him in 2020. Yeah, yeah, but let's say that that 1920 season. I'm not giving this as hard numbers, but like, let's say that season costs you 65 million, and he doesn't play a second. That's remarkable. Yeah, and you know he's not going to play a yeah. second. This isn't a circumstance where you pay a guy and then he gets hurt. Like this is even more extreme than like let's say the Chandler Parsons situation where you knew there was a problem. Like you know he's going to be out for basically next season or for most of it at least. Yeah, but and anyway, that's that's the scenario. I don't I don't know if Durant has any interest in going that way, but that's the one I find most interesting. Well, yeah, and it it could be a way for him. You know, depending, I, I don't think winning the press conference matters too much in these sorts of situations because everything else is going to come past it, and we'll forget all about that. But you know, that would be a way of doing it. Like, hey, I, I tried to come back, but it didn't end up happening. And I am interested. I'm going to write on this soon. On the idea of it, – it's very complicated from a few perspectives of theoretically signing Durant to a longer-term contract and having an understanding that while we cannot agree to specific terms or a specific – probably a specific team, we are amenable to trading you in the future. That is a more interesting conception because then, because the Warriors are so limited, assuming they re-sign Clay and potentially Draymond down the line, that – that sort of a structure gets Durant more security and also gets the Warriors something presumably of value, even if I think what they get of value is going to be less than many expect. Yeah, yeah. No, I, that could definitely be a, a way for every side to come out. And it takes a lot of trust, though. Uh, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. I trust the Warriors. If I'm, and that's not anything specific to the Warriors. That's just how this works. You sign a contract with a team, you're kind of uh, left at their whim. You, you, you do are. it expecting I mean, them like, to send you where you want. You're bound to get let down. Well, I mean, you could think about all the players that have taken a discount, and then that team, you even if it was years later, treated that as a as an asset <laughs> in, in a trade. You know, like that that can ha- that happens all the time. And it's you know, you could think about the Morris twins at various moments in time as being there, and that wasn't like a hometown discount or anything like that. But you know, it seems like they took less. Also, like just Marcus Morris ending up being so so much better than than I think a lot of us expected at the time. And Markeith, partially due to injuries, not. Anyway, getting far field. The other kind of big move that has happened since the finals ended was the Mike Conley trade. And my take on this is that it, it, it unambiguously makes the Jazz better. Like, I think Conley really gives them an offen- another piece of their offensive identity. It gives them a place to go when Donovan Mitchell, you know, like it, it, you're, they were asking a lot of Donovan Mitchell. He's still developing, and Conley is more suited for the role that they're asking him, and that makes it makes Conley's life easier than Mitchell's there, and it makes Mitchell's life easier than Conley's there. However, my, my read right now, and it does depend somewhat on, on how it goes from here, is that while this makes them better— I don't think this moves them, even with the changing paradigm that we're dealing with, into like real serious title contenders just because there are going to be really good teams and there are going to be teams with more dominant individual talent that what Utah does won't stop completely. I agree with that, but I'm a little less hung up on that. Like, I think this trade makes them better, and I think it could push them to the fringe of title contention. That's not a bad place to be. And they are young enough in their core pieces, not Conley, uh, but their other core pieces to grow from that. I, I think uh, it's important to have playoff experience. I do think that matters. I think advancing deeper in the playoffs 
playoffs and going through those battles can definitely help players and this pushes them closer and if you're on the fringe of title uh contention maybe you get the right breaks like you don't want to be in a situation where if you had made this like where you didn't make the trade and if you had made it if you had Connolly, that would have been the difference in winning a title i just i think it makes the jazz better for a reasonable cost at a time where it's very good for the jazz to be better and along those lines i i and this might have been what you were getting at in the early part of that I, I do not think that saying the Jazz are not title contenders is some sort of slam or some sort of thing. It, it was probably unreasonable to expect them or to even <laughs> think they could get to that level because of how, how few teams ever get in, into that conversation. So getting better, you know, being a com- potential conference finals team, maybe even an NBA finals team, that's a huge step. That's fantastic for the franchise. And when you consider what they gave up, so they gave up spending power, they could have gone after somebody who I think would have probably been worse than Mike Conley. Like, I think that's where that would have gone. And then the other assets they sacrificed, Grayson Allen, of the 23rd pick, and then a future first, those aren't amazing assets unless the Jazz just are awful in 2021-22, which I don't expect at all. And, and so the opportunity cost for them isn't particularly high, and the benefit is because Conley makes them a materially better team, and also having Rudy Gobert, Conley's not bad defensively for his position, but, you know, like, he's not particularly switchable and all these other things. Well, yeah, Rudy Gobert, th- those those concerns don't matter nearly as much. This trade, in a lot of ways, reminds me of the Mark Gasol trade to the Raptors, where we said, yeah, you know, they didn't give up that much. It's worth it. It might not help as much as some people think, but it's worth it considering what they gave up. I, I guess a drawback is, like, how does this help them win a title? Marc Gasol really work against the Warriors. And then you know what happened? The circumstances broke right, where Marc Gasol was overall really good in the finals uh, because the Warriors couldn't play the lineups that give players like him trouble. And so he was out there, he was helping, and the Raptors were very glad they had him. Well, and I think the more salient point is how much Gasol helped them in the earlier rounds. Because, Great yeah, point. it's possible that the Warriors... I mean, their injuries were totally outside of Toronto's control. But having Gasol for Vooch, having Gasol for Joel Embiid, that was huge. And yes. I mean, it's not, it's not necessarily. I mean, you could argue that in the Philly series, he he was like a definitive factor. In the in the Orlando series, they were going to win that one whichever way. But it, it helped them to win it in five as opposed to maybe like six. That that there's a, as as the Warriors are evidence uh, uh, evidenced having a longer series than you expect in the first round can come with some real consequences. And so Gasol, and I think that's true of Connolly as well. Like he makes them more likely to win especially in early rounds, and not only that, but to get a better record and thus a better seed in the playoffs. Like That was something that I talked about about this, is that if, let's say, the, the Conley trade had happened in February, like many of us hoped, then the whole West would have broken differently because I think the Jazz would have been the two seed. And maybe, if they're playing the Warriors in the conference finals without Kevin Durant... I, you know, who knows exactly how that series would have gone. Yeah, I mean, that's a distinct possibility. And and the, and so, yeah, I mean, there, there was a, an opportunity cost to waiting. And I wonder, my theory right now is that the way the Jazz lost gave them an increased and justified sense of urgency of like, hey, we need to we need to get better. And because Conley and I, and I actually think this is the other amazing way of this, this the other amazing story of this trade is how Mike Conley's value has changed over the last few years. Now, when he signed this gigantic contract, I think a lot of us, myself included, thought that this was thought that it was a, a, a negative value. It was, you know, maybe a justified one because Conley was so important to, to the Grizzlies and their future. And then 
it, you know, at, at moments it looked a little bit better when he was playing well. Then last year he basically missed the whole season, played in ten games due to due to injury. And then so it's like, oh man, look at look at this albatross. Even though we we th- I, I think everybody thought he was good when he was healthy, and then now he gets traded as an as an absolute positive value contract. There will always be teams that value good players, and don't worry too much about the cost. There will also be teams that just don't have a better use for their money. I mean, you talked about if the Jazz had tried to go to cap space or do other things. Like, Utah's not a destination market, and it it was hard to see them getting a better player. And so between those two, if you get good players, and being healthy is a a very important part of being a good player, and uh, maybe one where there's a certain degree of luck here that he was healthy at the right time as this trade became available. But if you get good players, like you have flexibility. I, I think people always understate. Uh, they can look at a cap sheet and see how much money is a team has tied up. But if you have good good players, you can always make moves. Yeah, and and I, I really like the idea of kind of if you want to think about it as opportunity cost or whatever for four different teams, and it's very true. You know, like Atlanta thinking of their cap space is different than Utah, which is different than the Nets, which is different than the Suns. And that gets into the the last team that I really wanted to discuss here, and we won't spend a lot of time on them, is the increasingly like varied path of the Suns cap space. Like there was a moment before the draft started after they had traded TJ Warren where it looked like the Suns, oh man, they're they're clearing max, max cap space. They're going after it looks like D'Angelo Russell. Then they take on Sharich uh, another first round pick and Aaron Baines and now it's less certain and and beyond who they chose in the draft and everything else like that I'm still I find myself struggling to figure out exactly what they're doing and we'll know in two weeks but it's still bizarre yeah I, I will say as much as the speculation centered, centered on D'Angelo Russell uh John Gambadoro, who's really locked in to what the Suns are doing has been saying like D'Angelo Russell is not a player they're going after so who is it going to be I don't know uh, but I, I tend to trust him, uh, especially on Suns things. And so I, I would think it's not Russell. And yeah, just all those moves in aggregate. My major takeaway from what the Suns did last night was, and it could work out, right? Maybe they're just way smarter than all of us, but they look like a team run by a rookie general manager. I would agree. And then you have the story uh, with Cam Johnson, who it seems like was really overdrafted. He's already 23 years old. And, and while he's a great shooter the connection with Jeff Bauer. It's it's a it's a heartwarming story if a player isn't overdrafted, but if they are, then it might be an indicator of like, oh, this is a team that's coming at it from the wrong perspective. But yeah, again, we'll 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 see a little bit more and I talked about this a little bit with Nate on Dunked On, but how basically James Jones has covered over over, you know, about eight months a lot of the more fringy decisions that Ryan McDonough made at the end of his tenure. He's gotten new backup point guard options. He's gotten new forward options. And not necessarily a bad use of resources in most of those cases. I don't know Cam Johnson's game well enough to say whether that was or was not. But it is it is notable to remember, like, oh, yeah, if Robert Sarver had just fired McDonough, at the, if he knew he wasn't the, wasn't the right option, maybe they wouldn't have spent most of last season – last offseason, signing guys that their new GM was just going to immediately dump. Uh, That story about Jeff Bauer recruiting Cameron Johnson at Marist, my first thought was like, did I read this wrong? Do you you mean like Cameron Johnson's 
dad or old, older brother? Like, how long ago <laughs> was Jeff Bauer at Maris? Like, oh, no, it was Cameron Johnson because he's that old. And that's part of the knock on him. He's a fifth-year senior. Uh, I think we're seeing this play out potentially with the Wizards. This is a team that doesn't have, even have a somebody they've named as general manager, Tommy Shepard's running the team for right now, but I thought Rui Hachimura was a real interesting pick as high as the Wizards took him. Uh, I rated Hachimura a, as a late uh, first round pick value. Uh, to take him that high, maybe it's just a difference in opinion. I know I was lower on Rui than, than most people were, but maybe it was something about a, a team looking for the, the what they deem to be the safer pick, the the experienced college player, somebody who can step in. Because when, whenever, and I know you're big on this too, whenever you have a team that has a general manager who's trying to save his job, it's going to lead to trouble. Oh yeah, and there it can lead to short term pressure. Also, you know, like then things like what the owner likes can become more more pressing. And so Hachimura is a very, you know, like a really well-spoken guy. I believe I've heard that of the Wizards' second-round pick as well. It was also Troy Brown seems like a great kid. And then that, that doesn't – great kid and, and great basketball player often go hand-in-hand. Hand. They don't exclusively. So, like, it's not, it not it's not necessarily a criticism. It's only a criticism if the guy isn't good at basketball, which I I haven't seen Hachimura yet. He wasn't on, he wasn't on our list yet. But, yeah, that is, that is an interesting point. And it kind of it, – it, it ties in with something else that I think is is going to be fascinating about this summer. And we've seen teams both in the more distant past, meaning like last offseason and then even around and before the trade deadline, and then teams more recently clearing cap space. And I'm fascinated to see whose gambles work out and whose gambles do not. It has clarified a little bit because now we're getting more and more reporting on you know where players might be going and everything like that. But inevitably... Some teams, and I think we have an idea of who some of them are, are going to get left out in the cold, and and that's the nature of the NBA system and having a soft cap and everything like that. But I'm very interested to see how it all works out. Are these even gambles anymore? It feels like free agency is well underway, maybe even almost finished. Like It seems like everybody knows where they're going. All the teams know. They just got to work it out, and then on June 30th, they'll tell us. I think that's definitely true of at least a few. And the the nature of communications, not only between players and teams, but I would say in some ways, more importantly, players and players can can clarify mm-hmm. a lot of this type of stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, it certainly looks like it's not even just tea leaves. It's like a whole like thing of I, I don't know what the higher quantity of tea is than that. But it's like, it, it, <laughs> I think the ship. I think we learned yeah, that from we're Boston. A whole, we're, a whole, a whole we're a whole ship of tea with with Kyrie Irving and the, and the and not Boston for sure. And probably the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> And, you know, it's getting closer with Horford and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it, it will be interesting. And I I wonder, I, I, you keep on thinking about just, like, how some of these pieces are going together. Like, there's the possibility that Horford signs to the Mavericks, but the Mavericks also pay Dwight Powell and Kristaps Porzingis. It's like, that's a lot of money to pay to bigs. But they they have Luka and they have all these other pieces. And so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that it seems like a lot is set. But I don't think it's everything yet. And also, I have this sneaking suspicion, which I think would be a great thing, not necessarily for the league in terms of like next season, but for for our jobs for 2020 and for the league interest, if some of this ends up being a, you know, run it back, like let's say Kawhi signs a short-term deal with the Raptors. We might be in this situation where like a bunch of teams sprint for the 2020 championship, but they still have the flexibility to have some reloading, have some real turnover next summer as well. Absolutely. And that's, 
part of the reason I found that Durant scenario that I brought up with you so fascinating because uh, if he does that, like, do teams how do teams kind of gauge their windows at that point too? Uh, because because I can't remember a move ever that has scared teams off from competing like Durant joining the Warriors, and I think that was a mistake. I think teams had more avenues to challenge the Warriors. The one team that really did it was the Rockets, and they pushed uh, Golden State to Game Seven of the Western Conference Finals last season. So. If Durant is staying, I do think that's probably the thing that will have the biggest impact. But even with the injuries, uh, with Clay, with Durant, uh, that will definitely open up the idea of competing now. And I I think a lot of it will be a response to what happens in Golden State. Some of it, to your point, will be interesting when teams act or have to act before Durant and Clay Thompson do, especially Durant. Agreed. And the Clippers and Knicks seem like the clearest clearest cut there. And there was a piece that Jovan Buha wrote about a week ago about basically the idea that it seems like the Clippers are going to go all or nothing, you know, go for stars. And then if they don't get those type of guys, then just keep the powder dry. And that's, it's fascinating for a few, for a few reasons. One of them being, you know, the, the discipline that is often required from doing that. But another one is because the Clippers were a playoff team this past year. So how do they approach it? And, you know, in certain circumstances, like they have Lou Williams, they have Montrez Harrell under contract. That's easy to do because you can just keep those dudes. But in the case of, let's say, Patrick Beverly, that gets harder because Patrick Beverly is a pending free agent. And so he probably isn't going to take a one-year contract unless you pay him a ton of money. So maybe at a certain point for a lot of these teams, Indiana Pacers are there, a couple other ones too. At a certain point, you have to make a decision. And and if especially if it's a negative value contract, then you can't get out of it. Clippers uh, have full bird rights on Beverly, right? They do. So... Uh, I'm going to hit on one of your favorite things about ownership being the biggest competitive advantage. Sometimes you just can't give somebody based on salary cap rules that big one-year contract. But I, I think in a lot of situations, Beverly's a big one. The Clippers are in position to do that. And essentially, when you give a guy that big one-year contract, you're paying for flexibility. Like, that's what the premium is. And uh, if Steve Ballmer, and it seems like he's more aggressive than most owners, uh, if he's willing to pay that high mark... If the Clippers don't get free agents, that could be their path. That's probably their best path. You could see them say, "Hey, we don't we don't know necessarily in the first day of free agency how much, but let's say like we'll give you twenty million dollars, and we don't know how many years it's going to be over. You know, like it could be over two, it could be over three, or it could be over one, and that would be a fascinating way to do it. Sure. Um, or you could just say, "Hey, we want to bring you back on a one year twenty million dollar contract. If we don't sign somebody, uh, will you wait?" And for that money, Patrick Beverly might say, yeah, I'll wait. Like, maybe I'll lose my next best choice, uh, but maybe I can still get my third best. You know, he might just wait for the one year. Entirely possible. We're about done, so I will open, I will open it to you to say, is there anything else from the last week plus that you think you, we should definitely discuss? Man, I feel like we, we got into a lot of the good stuff, and uh, I'm just looking forward to listening well, to your, your podcast with Sam on the draft. Uh, to see what I, I have one that's... more. Yeah. Is there really a chance that we see Andrew Wiggins get moved before, let's say, before the end of next season? Sure, sure. I mean, regime change. Um, you see sometimes contracts like that get broken up into smaller, more movable contracts. I think that's probably the most likely path. That you find a team that has some other bad contracts that aren't as big, but kind of feels like, yeah, we give Andrew Wiggins a change of scenery, maybe it could work out, uh, and just can give the Timberwolves some other easier contracts to move, and Minnesota can then work on breaking those up. That's what I think it would look like. What do you think? 
That seems like the most likely. I mean, with Wiggins, it could be another example. I, I, I think of Harrison Barnes with this, and there are numerous examples where talented players, especially who come into the draft with big expectations, almost always have a constituency for longer than one would expect because there, there was a reason they got drafted super high. Usually it's physical talent and potential and all that kind of stuff. And so it and there are 30 general managers and 30 owners who have their own priorities and have their own talent evaluators and their own ethos and everything else like that. And so that's the other possibility is that there's, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if somebody has a higher opinion of Wiggins and then it, it becomes a contract, a, a trade that we both see as, as much, a much larger mistake for the acquiring team. But I, I don't want to discount that possibility that even though I think your path is more reasonable, that it ends up being that somebody just is like, hey, he's Andrew Wiggins. He was the number one pick in the draft. He's an amazing talent. We can figure it out. Uh, let's speak it into existence. The Knicks strike out on free agents, then trade for Andrew Wiggins. Oh my God! So that would be let's say let's say theoretically they don't have to give up either of these guys. So it'd be like their their two through four could be Wiggins, R.J. Barrett, and Kevin Knox. <laughs> wow, that would be that would be. I remarkable. don't I don't think they'll do it. I don't think I'm, they'll do it either. But the I'm not going to discount the possibility. Yeah. Oh man. Well, that yeah. the Knicks there, need there, to prove for a little bit longer. There there isn't really a better way to end it. So I will thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Dan Feldman for taking the time to come on. You can read him at NBC's Pro Basketball Talk. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Feldman NBA, D-A-N-F-E-L-D-M-A-N-N-B-A. And you can also listen to him on the Mock Off Season podcast, which we will do for Dunked On in the near future. I don't know exactly when it's going to be released. I know when it's going to be recorded, but that's not my news to share. But you can look forward to that very, very soon. And it's going to be it's going to be a blast, as it always is. It's a ton of work, but it's also a ton of fun. And unusually, I've already basically said what next week's Real Jam Radio is. It's going to be my conversation with Sam Vecini about the draft. And so we're going to record that probably early next week. I think that's the tentative timeline here. And we'll go through from a lot of different angles. And I think it's going to be fun to see what what having a couple days of of processing time does to that conversation for those of you who who enjoy, as, as I do, Sam and I talking about the draft and talking about prospects and everything like that. So that will, that will be next week, and then I'm still figuring it out from beyond that. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of great ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. It's still the big thing in our business. It's I understand if, if you use another player. If you want to be super awesome, you can leave a review both places if you use something different. You can also subscribe and download every episode. Very important for a show like this that doesn't come out on the same day of the week. And the single most important thing you can do with this show and any other show that has them is check out our, our sponsors, betonline.ag. Use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% welcome bonus. Yahoo Daily Fantasy, Pod25 is the promo code there, and that gives you $25 in free play with your first deposit. And TrueCar, great place to sell or trade in your car. Be back next week, as I already said. You can also check out my content, Dunked On. We're still going strong five times a week. We have a lot of off-season previews. You can also listen. Let's say your team drafted somebody, and it's one of the 12 players that we did a full scout or a mini scout on. You can listen to that now. It's the same analysis that it would have been before. And we have, I think, 
10 off-season previews that we're going to be doing over the next week plus so you can end the mock off-season. So it's a lot, a lot to hammer out, but we're really excited about that. And written work, have a ton of stuff at The Athletic, both that is already out and that is coming out and on a variety of topics, not only just rigidly on the off-season. And if you have any feedback on this show, I guess you could do it on other stuff if you really want. Good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do that. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I might not respond. This is an insanely hectic time, especially with the draft being so early this year, though maybe there'll be a little bit of a nice window. We'll see. But no matter what, I if you take the time, I mean, that that's really important to me. So I will do it, and it makes the show better. It really does. And you don't have to do it, but if you want to, you can. So thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day. Thank you.